everyone. Before we start on this episode, we wanted to let you know that you can watch our Catalog and Cocktails episode live with us every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Central via Zoom. Check the link in our bio for more information, and we hope you join us in the discussion in real time. Now, let's get back to the episode. Hello, everyone. Welcome, welcome to Catalog and Cocktails. We're kicking off a new season here. Um, it is your honest, no BS, non-salesy conversation about enterprise data management. I'm Tim Gasper, product nerd and director of product over at Data.World and joined by Juan Cicada. Hello, Tim. This is Juan Cicada. I'm the principal scientist here at Data.World and always an exciting day, Wednesday, and exciting to take a break during the week and just sit down and just chat about data and be honest and no BS around it. And as we kind of positioned it uh, at the end of the year, uh, we wanted to kind of evolve the way the podcast has been going on. Uh, never I, never did I think that we were going to go do a podcast, right? Uh, started in May. We were kind of just doing this kind of in our free time and thing got bigger and bigger. Uh, we've had a great loyal audience, which is fantastic. And uh, we've been asking ourselves, like, what should we do different? And one of those things is let's go have more guests. Uh, because the guests will bring in just fantastic, phenomenal content. And I'm so excited to kick off this first uh, episode of 2021 uh, with Peter Bayless. So Peter is uh, the founder and CEO of CSU Data. It's one of those hot startups coming out. Uh, and also Peter is uh, was a former professor at Stanford and really took the leap and said, uh, goodbye academia. I mean, Peter was, is a rising star in, in, in research. I've been following his uh, research career for a while. If I'm not wrong, Peter, you actually were supposed to, you got offered a job at, at UT Austin, which you didn't accept. Uh, anyways, Peter, nice to meet you. Nice to have Thank you here. You. Thank you for the kind, overly kind words and the uh, invitation. Super excited to be here today. All right. Well, so for everybody who is listening to us, uh, remember that you can join us at Catalog and Cocktails every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Central. Everyone's invited. We stopped the recording at 4.30, and then after that, we have that after party. Uh, and for everybody who is joining us here live and also listening, please go to Apple Podcasts. If you've listened to us and you really like what you're listening, uh, go rate us, send us a review, uh, follow us on, on Spotify, like all that stuff. Uh, we would really appreciate it. Um, and we also have a Slack community. So you can join us at slack.data.world. Uh, we have a catalog and cocktails channel. So you can say hello and keep the conversation there. Um, so catalog and the, let's talk about the cocktails part first. So what are you all drinking? Well, let's, what are we going to toast for? Who goes first? That's a great question. Uh, <laughs> I will I will go first. I, I had to throw it together pretty quick, but luckily I had the right ingredients. I've got a uh, blood and sand going on, um, except I'll, I'll be honest, I'm a little bit scotch averse, uh, like because I got the art bag that you recommended, Juan. And uh, and it's just like a little too intense for me. I mean, maybe, nah, this sounds so bad, but uh, so I, I did half and half scotch and uh, and bourbon. And I actually like the way it tastes better. So I don't know if that's weird. Is that a thing? No, I think it's all game. How about you, Peter? <laughs> uh, my cocktail game is is actually very simple. Uh, this week, I am just drinking straight mezcal. Figure it'd be good for some spicy uh, conversation. Not during bad. This episode. Not, <laughs> love it. Are you more of a mezcal fan than a tequila guy? Or uh, depends on if I. Yeah, for, for cocktails, definitely more tequila. But um, 
you know, I just think like mezcal, sipping mezcal is super good. So um, I, I love the, I, uh, I, smoke. Yeah, I love I, I love to sip on on mezcal. So I'm I love to just go see and like go go to the bar and see what I have there and mix it up. And I'm doing a passion fruit twist on a Tom Collins. So I had some gin and I have found some passion fruit syrup. And luckily, I had actually a passion fruit sparkling water. So and put some lime. So there you go. That sounds good. Anyways, so toasting for what? What are we going to toast for? Cheers. Um, well, I am. I'm going to toast to the Cleveland Browns because my Browns are uh, are actually progressing in the in the uh, postseason here. Uh, so I'm gonna I'm gonna toast to them if that's okay. How about you, Peter? I think this is the first episode of the year, right? So. I'm going to toast to a uh, linearly or possibly even super linearly better and better 2021. Um, you know, it started off on a little bit of a rough foot. I think we can only go up from here. So I'm going to toast it up into the right. Awesome. Well, I'm going to toast for people. Let's see if we can actually uh, uh, make our New Year's resolutions. Um, I, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a person who actually does New, York, New Year's resolution, tries to stick to it. So, so I'm toasting for that. Anyways, anyways, thanks, Peter, for joining us and cheers. So talk about New Year's resolution to break the ice a little bit. What is your, what is, what is your New Year's resolution? Yeah. um, One of my New Year's resolutions, I try not to have too many of these, but in grad school, I was like a maniac um, writing blog posts. And I felt like if I was doing research, it takes so much time to go write papers. Might as well write a short blog post associated with it. Um, And it's really fun just to get people's feedback. You know, writing, reading a paper is a huge, huge overhead. So my resolution, especially now that I've um, got a little bit, like a modicum more free time, not being full, you know, full time at Stanford and CSU is, is to write more this year, uh, blog posts, write up some stuff that we're doing, uh, talk more about, you know, fun stuff that's going on. That's cool. How about you, Tim? Um, you know, actually I kind of want to write more as well, but since you already said that Peter, cause I, I do agree. I feel like I've, I've not written as much lately as I'd like to get, get some blogging going and that kind of thing. Um, I want to, I want to run more in uh, 2021. I used to run a lot, and uh, so I found one of these running plans on RunKeeper, and I'm uh, I'm gonna try to get my like three runs in a week, that kind of thing. So that's that's what's up with me. Dude, that's it's so funny because my alternative was me running as well. So we're <laughs> we've got some like vibe going on here. Yeah, that's, we're on that's the really same impressive. page. Here, yeah. <laughs> well, the best way to write is to start thinking about it while you run, and then you sit down and write. So you yeah, that's where thinking. the ideas come from, right? Yeah. Well, I I just kind of on the on the exercise side i want to be able to touch the floor without moving my knees without bending my knees that's kind of my goal for the year so that's <laughs> anyways, now you've got me wondering am i am i able to do that yeah uh, right, you should try yeah. it <laughs> anyways post in the chat tell us where you're coming from what are you drinking what are you toasting for and what's your new year's resolution so uh anyways we closed the year last year talking a lot about data culture right the processes the people how they're related to technology and and, and this time it's we they're like this a call for action. Now, let's start the year talking about analytics. And I think it's a topic that we haven't really touched that much. And we've all been talking about, I mean, BI is kind of the the, the main thing, uh, Tableau and all that stuff. But really, what's next? And I think if there's somebody who can really talk us about what's next is is Peter, who has been really thinking about this for for a long, long time. So I just want to kind of kick off what's next, what's what's the state of BI today and and what's next? And and kind of from my position, I think, I I mean, again, the honest no BS thing is uh, Tableau is like the super fancy Excel, right? People have been doing some sort of analytics on Excel forever. And then Tableau comes along, I can do all these things. And yeah, we can go share them and so forth. And now we're seeing uh, other companies 
like ThoughtSpot. I love ThoughtSpot. They're so cool what they're doing. But frankly, it still is kind of the same. It's just a, another user interface over what you or what you can do over BI. It's natural language, and they can do all this stuff automatically, which is really cool. But I'm 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 thinking that it's it's just kind of another fancier interfaces over that. Um, what's your What's your position, Peter? Yeah, um, I think this is super relevant topic because there's all this going on in the lower levels of the data stack. We got like Fivetran and Snowflake and cloud warehouses and a ton of innovation on the data infrastructure side, catalogs as well, right? Um, throughout my love for data cataloging. But um, the BI and analytics layer is still users interface to data, right? There's like 10 to 100 times more people who use BI tools than you know SQL on a daily basis. And as the data has gotten both fresher, it's gotten wider, so when you integrate more, when you integrate your marketing database with your sales database, you don't find more customers magically. You're often getting more information on each customer, each transaction. And the, the, you know, the question is, and I think where, where I think a lot of the action is, is what's that next generation interface look like given that all this data is so fresh and wide? And what do you do when there's more and more people that have access to these tools that aren't just um, you know, database experts, but you know, are essentially forced to look at these dashboards, figure out what's going on their own. How do you, how do you, how do you basically scale up the level of BI capabilities to match the expanded reach these tools have, given that a lot of the people who have these don't have the time or the skill set to go and do all the magic that data analysts and data scientists do. So, so one of the things that I look at at BI has been, you focus on like what is going on. Right. This is the what I'm, I'm, I'm looking at the data and we see the what, but the other aspect that I think that's, that's, that's missing in an automatic way is I, I really want to know the why, but then you really, I mean, but that's kind of like the, the, that's a hard thing to go do kind of genuinely find the why, because I've seen other stuff that people go in and it's like, oh, well, uh, they find just kind of pattern matches or things. It's like, oh, well, this is going up because of this thing. And they're like, well, yeah, of course, because we always give, if whenever you buy X, we always give people a 50% discount on Y. So they go buy Y. Like, I mean, that's obvious. So yeah. give me something real. Like, I think how far away are we from actually focusing on the why? Totally. I think to get to the why, there's kind of two parts. First thing is, what do people do today to get to the why? And the second part is, what can you automate? And for us, when you hear about people getting the why today, you have metrics that are derived from this data that are maybe important even at a company level. You look at total revenue, average order value, um, revenue per contract, you know, engagement. There be every company has like five top of line metrics you're gonna be chasing and revenue is probably one of them. And what we find today is people get the what all the time. You'll show up to like a weekly business review or a board meeting and you'll say, here's how we did according to our metrics. It'll be up, it'll be down. And so much of the time you only ask why when something bad happens. And then that question of getting the answer to why or the process of getting the answer to why can take you know, hours or days. And, you know, for like uh, executive that can come back with a slide deck and maybe the answer is the right answer, maybe it's relevant or not, but there's like a massive effort of people that are just running a giant fire drill, digging in, slicing and dicing, pulling more data and so on. And, and that's a very reactive process. It means the answer to somebody's bias and it also means very little of the data actually gets utilized. Yeah, and just, so just to interject really quick, this pain is like just making my brain go off like an alarm, right? Because there's so many times in my history, I can think of times when, you know, somebody was like, oh, why did this happen, right? Like uh, we didn't hit our target or something like that. And you may not get the answer until 
a month or two after you already decided what you were going to target for the next quarter, right? Totally. And it's that kind of like gap where even if you do have the analyst resource to go and dig in, or you are the analyst, only a small fraction of the questions you would possibly ask around why are actually going to get asked, right? So, so to answer your question directly, like what can you do today? I think there are a few things both organizationally and in the data that make this more tractable than kind of ever before. And, and, and the two things I'd highlight most kind of that are, that are kind of top of mind things that we found most useful are one, there's a lot of overhead in terms of associating, you know, defining the metrics, defining what possible um, uh, actions you want to take based on the answer to why and mapping that down in the data, doing a lot of the cataloging and setup and so on. But it, so there's, there's, you know, it's expensive to go and set up dashboards and so on. But once you have your metrics defined on your data, your schemas might change a little bit, but the way you're going to fundamentally compute things like lifetime value for customers or customer acquisition costs or average order value, you're going to set that once as a company. You're going to set up OKRs on that every month or every, every quarter. But fundamentally, like you can set it up once, understand the metric, and then amortize that overhead of, a set, of any kind of setup over the course of you know, years. So the idea is that metrics change very infrequently. Data changes much, much more often. And but, yeah, go ahead. No, so that, that, that's a great point. I think we, we usually go off kind of like with uh, something's going on, right? There's a fire drill and people start running with like their, like their chickens with their heads cut off, going everywhere. Takes too long to go figure these answers out when we should really sit back and think about it kind of holistically. It's like, wait, I know what this business is about. I, I know what success means. And, and, and let's go drive and drill down into what success means as defining these KPIs. Let's go figure out what those are. Let, let's go define them. Let's go catalog all those KPIs and let's go sit this and we can, and we can go track them. And, and we can, we better be proactive about, about, about the why, right? Not, not, not we, we should not be reactive because that's what everybody is. Totally. And I think the key thing that you kind of hit on is once you have this, like all the work you do in this kind of reactive pattern, it's not value add. Like just because I did a slice and dice fire drill last week, doesn't mean I'm going to be able to use any of that work this week, right? Because the data is going to change. All the factors might've changed from doing week over week analysis, entirely new data. So this idea of amortizing that overhead of any kind of setup or cataloging over the course of many, many analyses, that only works if you can automate the analysis. And the flip side of this, which is the second part of the equation is you have to have like granular enough data and, and interesting enough factors in your data to actually be able to diagnose what's going on with why something's changing, right? So if all I have is like sales by product line by day, finding out why is not gonna be super interesting. But with all of this additional data, you know, all of the pipelines coming in from different SaaS tools, all of the data integration, all the cataloging that's happening, like the probability that there's something, there's some factor in the data that if I know it's moving either positively or negatively, someone in the business can then take an action that corresponds to that factor. Like for example, uh, Samsung's a customer, we talked about how we use, how we basically help them figure out what's going on with conversion rate. And there are very, there are a number of factors that their marketing team can go and look at, whether or not it's like channel or targeting or otherwise, where there are factors in the data that map to business actions and being able to perform that mapping back requires you to have the data. And I'd say most people outside of, you know, massive tech companies didn't have that granularity of data. And sometimes it's the first time find themselves after they've done all these digital transformations, they've migrated their data warehouses, to the cloud, and now they have all their schemas integrated. They're like, what do we do next? And I think that that like cloud warehouse, it's a TCO play, it's a governance play. But for me, what I think is so exciting and what the unlock is for this analytics layer is you suddenly have like cross-functional, fine-grained, actionable, 
factors in the data where there is a meaningful statistical signal, it might actually be meaningful to the business as well. So, so would you say that because of this trend of kind of bringing all of these different attributes and things like that together, that, you know, it, is, is analytics entering a new phase? Is this something that, well, you know, because obviously people have tried to bring all these dimensions together and they've used SAS or, you know, more recently Jupiter and things like that to try to create these kinds of projections. I guess, you know, what's different and, and where are things heading? Totally. I think that the most interesting change in data today is essentially the idea that BI and analytics doesn't have to be a static view of your data. So today, BI and dashboards look a lot like Web 1.0. And no one talks about Web 2.0. I feel like I'm back in 2004 when I say that. But literally, like back in the early internet, it was like someone manually curated an index of the internet and called it Yahoo. And then you also have, you know, an early like, um, you know, social media, you just had like, you know, what's most upvoted, what's most downvoted, like the idea that, hey, you know, the tens of thousands of people going and using a dashboarding system in a large enterprise today are actually generating meaningful signal at what's important to them. The idea of actually ranking and predicting and using past behavior to not to predict the future, like predicting re revenue and stuff is super hard. No one's to predict COVID and all, all this nuts stuff like that, right? But like if someone's going into the same dashboard, checking the same factors every day, or you can watch someone going and doing their slicing and dicing, the idea that you might actually have a feed how some people position this or just a dynamic view of their data or even alerting based on what we predict someone would want to go to see. Like that's obviously a consumer setting. In some sense, the consumer settings are easy because there's like millions of clicks and you can just, you know, throw machine learning at the problem. But that's where I think the next generation of analytics is going. It's like, it's like web 2.0, which is crazy. But the reality is, you know, as, as Juan pointed out, like, you know, a lot of the interaction models like Tableau, like, you know, that paper was written in like 2002. I, I like this analogy of Web 1.0 and Web 2.0. I mean, it's, at the end, it's like, I mean, even think about it. You're, when you're cataloging all the business reports out there, you are literally doing what Yahoo was doing, creating a directory of the web. Uh, I, that, that's, that, I, that's a great takeaway for me right there. So what should we, so what do we tell analytics teams? Like, what should they be doing? What's a low-hanging fruit that they can say, okay, you're, you're all creating these dashboards stop doing this or look at this other thing. Like, what, what are your thoughts about that? Yeah, I think the crawl part of this is, is when you look at what's going on with data pipelines today, a lot of the data going into these warehouses is, is coming from standardized sources. You can now apply standardized transformations, tools like DBT, which are awesome. And you can also start to build standardized analytics. And you see this in certain BI vendor stuff today, like looker blocks are really cool, right? If I have data from a given, API, I can just go and, you know, pre-configure all my dashboards and so on. The real magic, and I think that what the next wave of this looks like, isn't just, hey, I can now visualize my Salesforce data using a plugin, but it's tools that say, look, I'm looking at my sales data linked to my marketing data, linked to my first party product data. And that first party product data is actually really tough. So just to pause there, right? Salesforce led the last private round in Snowflake, not because they love Snowflake, but because they realize you're not going to pull your first party user and product interaction data in the Snowflake, you're into Salesforce, you're gonna put in a Snowflake. Snowflake and Data Warehouse, like the many to all aggregator of all your data. And I think that like the next generation of BI, the kind of walk and then the run phase of that is, not only to look at like individual templated analyses for common, you know, data export formats, but you're able to go and look at analyses, like how is my channel um, where I'm acquiring users affecting my retention rate, which is super hard to do. You have to have 
your product data, you have to have your renewal data, and you have to have your marketing data all stitched together. And that's that combinatorial explosion, especially when you think about first party concepts that only exist in, you know, say your business, whether well, that's like you have a certain type of package or certain type of product or otherwise, right? You're going to have to customize that a bit. And that's the, still why, where I think BI remains as horizontal, BI 2.0 is still horizontal instead of really horizontally look across this and then even dispatch like, hey, marketing, go look at this, or hey, ops, go look at this, or hey, pricing team, go look at this. That's like the, the run stage where you're having like the whole company running with like this augmented nervous system that's just looking at all these metrics and whatever's actionable for which teams you get tagged and poked and eventually take actions on top of it. Yeah. So something that we've talked before, Peter, and I think this is um, you, a lot of this work within industries, right? It's the same type of stuff. Like people are, people there's so many companies in the world, right? Millions of companies who need to go and integrate Salesforce data with uh, Marketo, with, with, with Shopify, and, and they're all asking the same type of KPIs. Yes, the devil's in the details. They want to go switch things. But at, at that point, this is what I'm realizing, and this is what, what annoys me of just data management, the enterprise data management, the amount of work that gets repeated by so many people, the same work gets repeated over and over by different people in different organizations. Like, I think this is a nut that we need to go crack as, a, as an industry. And, and, and this is not just one company who's going to go do it, right? It's an ecosystem, people working together. I mean, so, I mean, the, everything I'm hearing too is like, there's just so much wheels being reinvented in slightly different ways by different people, different companies when it's the same freaking wheel. Totally agree. And I think it's this interesting interchange where a store, I mean, this is like what we did at Stanford when, where CC became as a research project. It was like, if you look at all the trends, data is getting near free to store. So then where does the bottleneck fall? And we're start, and there's a bunch of these. There's data collection and ingest, but that's also becoming cheaper and cheaper and easier and easier. And I think that if you fast forward a few years, the idea of having a centralized, you know, metadata catalog with, you know, your KPIs mapped on top of this, where the analytics function becomes much more helping do the mapping helping set up these types of analyses and then being almost the stewards of making sure the right people are getting the right information. Kind of, I mean, what is the difference between web 1.0 and web 2.0? It's like web 2.0 has a concept of relevance. And the idea that we can take all of this effort, which would otherwise, you know, five, 10 years ago would require a ton of data integration, custom data movement and so on. We do all the work down stack in terms of integration, storage, uh, metadata management, so on. And suddenly like surface all of that to the right people with the right, you know, uh, at the right time, which is ultimately a relevance question, that's what I think analytics has the opportunity to become. And it's not going to be user-driven. I think there's still better opportunities for like cloud-based BI. Um, but the real leap forward and why I left, you know, why I personally left Stanford, but I think there's a bunch of research even to be done in the space still, is like getting that relevance problem right. Well, you know, when I, I think about relevance, and I, and I like the use of that word here, uh, I also think a little bit about, you know, metadata and context and how that plays into it. Like when, when you talk about this new approach to analytics, um, you know, how does that, how does that play? Right. Is, is, is metadata something that you have to infuse it with? Is it something you have to teach it with? Like, how does that, how does that connect? Totally. That's a great question. And I, I think it's something we've seen play out time and again, where in some sense, the reason why the web 2.0 analogy breaks down is that like, in terms of the easiest, we've only solved the easiest relevance problems. So like building a pretty good recommender system based on, you know, billions of clicks, super, super easy problem. Again, scale, even within a private enterprise. One of the things I love about this space, this kind of modern data stack is that we're talking about relevance for private data. 
where you know the types of people who have these data, you're not going to go sell this stuff to third-party advertisers or otherwise. It's like this is the information of how your business is performing, and for the hundreds of thousands of people who depend on you know this data to make better decisions, like you can just amplify all of that. But it's not like it's not you get out of the creepy data space, right? But in some sense, because we don't have public data and a bunch of consumer data and so on, but excuse me, what's what this you know one organization knows about? You have to be scrappy and almost be like a data scavenger or a training data scavenger to go and figure out, okay, what does relevance mean to this user? So tons of metadata can be super useful in terms of determining relevance. You know, everything from obviously the schemas and the data types, but even like column names, uh, looking at what's accessed together, inferring joins, uh, bringing in alternative data, some of which is public, some of which can be external. Like these are all things that people do manually today. When you, when you think about, you know, when you sit down in a BI tool today and you try to navigate a schema, you're gonna go look at that metadata. And the reason why is there's statistical signal you can extract in models around relevance, which is something you don't actually get as much on the internet when you have like unstructured text to go in and, and index. So it's a really good point. And I think that getting that right and getting it rich and also integrating with some of the data cataloging efforts like um, you know the Snowflake uh, uh, data catalog that they've been pushing really hard, gets super, super interesting in terms of auto enriching and, and so on. This leads up to, not, to another topic is the culture. Uh, being able to kind of go catalog all these things and and educating people to say, no, you can go self-service because we've actually cataloged all this metadata. You can go figure it out yourself. And if you can't, uh, actually, here's the right person to go talk to and, and have all this stuff maintained. Like, this is a big cultural shift. And, and, and we see this all the time of even like the aging, the, the aging workforce is another thing. It's like so much of this knowledge is in people's brains and they're going to retire. Like, and, and, and they have no incentive to go spend their time catalog all these things. I know this, this is another nut that we need to go crack. And it's, it's, and it's not technology. This is about understanding the people, the processes. And I just truly believe that the way to go solve this is it has to be a mandate from the executive above. And the executives are the ones who need to go give the examples. They're the ones who are, who are, who are doing the work themselves, showing so other people can go follow. I completely agree in the sense that in a culture where it takes days or you know, in Tim's experience, months to go and get an answer, it's very hard to justify net incremental spend in, in this space and to really make data a priority. But I think as soon as you can start to, you know, be a better tools and technology, essentially invert that and be proactive with data and actually come to those meetings and come with the answers before the questions are asked, right? Then you can start to turn that on its head a bit. Uh, so I think it's, I think it's, there's this gap that exists in a lot of organizations where they're, they don't want to make the investment because they will look at the investments they've made in things like data warehouses They'll go look at the utilization of the data. It's, it's, it's pitiful because you just the only time you're going and looking at is when something goes wrong. So if you can switch that on its head, go from pro, reactive to proactive, that's part of it. But the other part that you call out is I think this tooling and a lot of AIML companies will talk about full automation and replacing people and so on. If you look at the size of a typical analyst team, it's super small relative to the company. And so the key goal, I think, of a lot of analytics products has to be something where you keep the humans in the loop and leverage analysts where they're best, which is being that intermediary between the business and the data, but then trying to remove as much load from the analyst team as possible for those routine repetitive tasks. So it's this human in the loop amplification of existing investments. And the easiest way we've seen to show value at the executive level saying, look, you don't have to show up to QBR anymore and have to you know, wait three days to go into response. Your team will show up with like the waterfall breakdown and the five following questions you wanna go and ask. That, that's an interesting concept. And, you know, Juan, that, that reminds me a little bit of the topic that you talk about in terms of like knowledge scientists, right? And like, you know, are, is, is the role of the analyst starting to wane? And, 
here comes the new era of the uh, the knowledge scientist, the sort of the interpreter between business and technology. I mean, this comes back every, almost in every single episode. And I mean, I'm not, I mean, I am pushing it, but just the topic comes back to us. I, I mean, what you're talking, Peter, is what I call, first of all, it's like you want to have a data, the data product manager. Like we don't have, who takes responsibility for the data? Who actually is that communication bridge? Who talks to the business users? Who goes, documents all that stuff? Who goes to the data engineers to figure that out? And then we always hear the 80-20 rule, right? 80% of the data science, blah, 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 blah. But like, that's not, that's not bullshitty things that they have to go do. This is like understanding truly what this metric means, because that's going to drive our business. And, 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 and if understand that we're using the same word that means three different things, let's, let's go figure out what that is and figure out which is the right one. And, and, and let's put data behind it. So I, this is what I've been pushing and calling it the, the knowledge scientist. And there's this knowledge science work, which is separate from what the data scientists should be doing. Uh, so I think also the DBT folks, they call that like analytics engineering. So they have different terms or knowledge engineering was the big word from the 90s. I think all of this is something that we really need to think about within organizations. And we're just frankly not, we don't, we're not even educating people on it. Like we don't have teams for this stuff. I ask everybody, who is responsible for your data? Who gets fired if something fucked up happens, right? Or who gets promoted because something amazing happened? Like that's like, we're not asking those hard questions. Totally. I think on that note, it's about what can analytics teams do that provides recurring value, where running a one-off analysis for someone does not benefit you know, future analyses, right? And I think you know, data engineering teams have this practice where you, know, you typically set up an integration once, provided the integration doesn't break, it just continues to shuttle data in and out. Um, and I think in all of this, you know, I, we talked to a lot of analysts, analytics leaders who want to do more with their data, but are basically kept back by the fact their teams are crushed by all of the kind of non-recurring, like non-recurring one-off ad hoc requests. They know they can go and get toward closest kind of knowledge scientist ideal that you're talking about, but they don't have the tooling or the resources. And frankly, if you look at the rate at which data is growing, both in terms of volume and width, you know, you can't scale people to keep up with this stuff. And that's where I think like the real opportunity for tooling is where it makes the analyst better at making long-term investments, right? Actually, investments continue to pay back. Well, all the while making it so that everyone in the company essentially becomes an analyst, not because they're spending time slicing and dicing, because they can essentially go and answer those questions on their own. I think another topic here, and this is for another big, longer conversation, it's about the the... The, the, the ROI on, on the way you can paint this and people will see it. No, this is a vitamin. And you're trying to go paint this as a, as a true painkiller, as an aspirin. I mean, us data geeks understand that like you really have to go solve these big issues with your data. Otherwise, if you think about it in the long run, right, it's really going to affect and you're not going to make, you're going to lose money, but people don't see this. And it is, I think that's a, another nut here that needs to get cracked on it. So totally. Well, and one of the reasons why I like the metrics oriented approach of talking about defining KPIs, elevating KPIs as a first-class primitive is that when you go to, do go to talk to the you know, COO or CEO or the GM responsible for their business unit, whether they're tracking conversion or retention or revenue, right? You can actually go put a dollar value on that. You say, well, look, you know, because we sped up this analysis by, you know, thousand X, you know, the time it's almost unfair to compare like people versus machine for these super rote routine repetitive tasks, which are, you know, ripe for augmentation. Um, you can actually go and quantify that that lift, which I think is really important. And I think a lot of the times we just get bogged down in productivity arguments as opposed to saying, hey, you know what? Uh, there was an outage last week. Uh, we could have remediated that in you know 10 minutes as opposed to two days. And by the way, like here are three more things we found that you that you missed because you know you just didn't have the resources. And not to say you couldn't find them on your own, 
it's like, you know, search engines are, 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 aren't great because we couldn't literally look through every page on the internet. It's like, we don't have the time to go do that. And that's like, by, by tying it to the metric, you can very easily quantify that ROI. And, 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 and you know, that's where I think data teams ultimately become the heroes, especially when things are changing super quickly, like the current, you know, economic climate we're operating in. You can kind of go from just being a productivity boost as a tool to something that's actually really delivering quantifiable ROI to a metric that matters. That's it. That's that's the main takeaway for me. So uh, let's. I told you, Peter, thirty minutes fly by. So uh, so let's just. I like. We always like to wrap up with some takeaways. Tim, what what are your takeaways? So, uh, gosh, I took a bunch of notes and there's a ton that you've got me thinking about. So appreciate it, Peter. This has been a great discussion. Uh, two things that really stuck out to me are first, when you said metrics change infrequently, data changes a lot. And uh, I also kind of tie that to your comment about volume and width growing way faster than, you know, the people are scaling, right? Or, or, or knowledge or data literacy, right? Anything that's sort of tied to people, right? And so like this analogy of search, right? Like the web grew way faster than people could interpret and curate websites. So, hey, we had to solve it with tooling, right? Um, and then the analyst needing to evolve into sort of the steward or the, po- or the portfolio manager that's making investments, and then the rest of the company really being enabled to be the analysts, right? I think that's that's a paradigm shift that I think is is different and could be really powerful if we can we can transition there. And I think in my takeaways are when we, we always ask the why when something bad happens. So we're like running around with like chickens with their heads cut off, and it's always too late when we get the answer. So we need to figure out how to avoid that. And how to avoid that is let's set our KPIs as first-class citizens. I love how you said that, KPIs are first-class citizens. And that's actually a fantastic way to go tie ROI because you can say, look, I'm focusing on this KPI. We're improving it. There's our ROI. And I also love the analogy on the web, On the web, right? So the, the just having dashboards is like the web 1.0. Imagine Yahoo doing their directories. And web 2.0 is, which is the next generation. Let's think about relevance. Like how do we know that analytics is relevant? Guess what? Tie it to your KPI. That's how you know if it's relevant. <laughs> Peter, thank you so much. But one last question to you: Who should we invite next to be part part of Catalog and Cocktails? So I'll be honest; you have a pretty amazing lineup of people. I'm really uh, uh, honored to be a part of it. Um, one person who I don't think is in the lineup yet, but it's really awesome, uh, is actually a fellow academic, um, Theo. Uh, I'm going to butcher his last name. Rekatsinas uh, is a professor at uh, University of Wisconsin who's done a lot of work on uh, data cleaning using ML, uh, did a company called Inductive that was acquired by Apple and is kind of one of the leading um, young researchers in the space of understanding how do I know what data I've got, if it's corrupted, and um, how to programmatically kind of repair it as much as possible without intervention and then kick the stuff that's too hard to go do to users. So really interesting kind of blend of theory and practice and also a super funny guy as well. Awesome. Well, we got to go send uh, this this podcast over to him. So please send that to him. So yeah, we'll please, please intro us and uh, and hey, Peter. Before we let uh, you go and we transition to our our sort of after event here, uh, how can people find out more about CSU? Should they go to CSU.ai? Totally. Uh, so we we are at CSU.ai, but our official domain is CSUdata.com. S-I-S-U data.com. Uh, you can also shoot me an email. I'm Peter at CSUdata.com. Uh, would love to like you know hear from you. You're excited about this stuff. Um, you know, love talking with users. One of my favorite parts of getting out of the lab is just working with uh, real data and getting really uh, hands dirty. So 
uh, thanks for having me and would love to follow up with anyone who's interested. Awesome. And as Peter alluded, uh, we have a great lineup. So on January 27th, we have Ashley Faith, who is the director of Knowledge Graph at EBSCO. We have afterwards John Booker, who is the insurance executive about data analytics and insurance. We have Sam Bale, the engineering director at Superconductive and Great Expectations. Then we have Mohammed Osser, who is the CDO of McKenzie. And we have Professor George Fletcher from TU Eidenhoven. We have Bar Most, who's the founder of Money Color Data, and then Drew Bannon, who is the founder of Fishtown Analytics. We got an awesome lineup, and then uh, we're going to get more. So shoot us uh, an email. You can email us at podcast at data.world. And with that, cheers, Peter. Cheers, Tim. Thanks, everything. Cheers. Thanks for having me, everyone. Cheers.